We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. Good afternoon, you are listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, a podcast about parapsychology and the unexplained, where we ask questions to find out why people believe weird things. I'm Kean, and this time, for this episode, I'm not in my usual digs in Essex. We are actually recording this over the Christmas holiday, so I'm back in the motherland. And with me uh, for this episode is... Chris Joyce. Uh, thanks for having me back on the podcast, Kean. Mr... Uh, Looking forward to this one. Uh, it's, it's been something I want to maybe talk about for a long time, which I'll get into later. But uh, yeah, looking forward to this one. Mr. Joyce, last time we spoke, uh, I think I was sitting so squatting by a railway, a railway track uh, in the dark at night. And we were talking about alien greys and spooking ourselves silly. Yeah, and there were, I believe there was a train passed by with a, a mysterious uh, carriage possibly uh, <laughs> undertaking some sort of um, extraterrestrial... Uh, what, what's what? EBEs? Yeah. The Extraterrestrial <laughs> Biological Entity. We, we will get to that. Um, so this episode, probably by the time I get back over and have it edited and ready to go, will probably be one of the early January episodes. But uh, we are recording it in the festive period. Um some of us may have experienced some uh, missing time last night. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, we're, 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 what are we drinking this, mo- this, this afternoon, Chris, to get us, get us through uh, the, this episode? Well, currently there's an unidentified biological organism <laughs> affecting my lungs, <laughs> as you might hear in my voice. So I have a nice cup of green tea in front of me. Can't go wrong with green tea. Uh, I'm on the fake coffee. It's a sort of a sugary-based product. Uh, just trying to cut down my usual coffee intake, as you can probably tell from episodes, uh, I'm a bit of a habit. So I've been I've been working my way down uh, by a little bit less of a spoon every day, and uh, tomorrow is the I think tomorrow is ground zero for no coffee day, but we'll see if that happens or not. <laughs> uh, don't hold it to me, listeners. <laughs> I just noticed my green tea has a little uh, self help message here. It says uh, your potential self is infinite. <laughs> Uh, green tea, I think it's yoga tea or some sort. Green teas and fancy teas of all sorts are absolutely fantastic for having um, kind of nonsense new age stuff written on the back of them. Uh, you know, about the, the thousands of years of, you know, positive thinking that has gone into every cup and the, the, the yoga Brahmins from, you know, the mysterious mountains of Tibet who have, you know, put all of their... Um, you know, there was mystical powers somehow into the tea. So I do enjoy a bit of that. Th- ah. This particular one came with like paragraph after paragraph of that sort of nonsense, which I find highly enjoyable. <laughs> Great. Uh, so what what you been up to since I last uh, spoke to you? Well, we have this episode we haven't said yet is going to be about the X-Files. We will get to that. But we do have I do have some updates about uh, things from the world of the strange and uh, things I've been reading or watching um, in that regard. So firstly, I want to talk about Space Force. So uh, I hate to bring up um, the Trump, but um, we'll, we'll mention him briefly and then move along. He somehow, uh, during an extremely busy Christmas schedule, has found time to uh, give the go-ahead to the infamous Space Force. Uh, and of course, this has sent shockwaves through the conspiracy world. So conspiracy theorists are now saying that this means that 
Uh, finally, the truth is going to come out from the American government about UFOs and aliens. Of course, it is disclosure, the, the big D word, which is a huge deal in conspiracy circles and UFO circles. Now, I can't remember if I told this story on the show before, but I do... Obviously, I'm interested in this stuff, and I always ask people if, if I ever meet anyone who might be even tangentially connected to it, if they might know something, I always ask. So, this year, I met a guy, a retired fellow, who uh, is, was a pilot. Okay. I might have told the story before, I can't remember. And he... He is into odd things, and he was driving me home from work one day across the, the moors, right, of uh, a cursed witch-haunted Essex on, on a cold and dark and windy night, and I asked him if he'd ever seen anything strange in the skies, because obviously pilots are, are good people to ask about this, okay? Um, and he immediately stopped the car on the moor and turned around and said, oh yeah, yeah, we see them all the time. Right, and he then proceeded to tell me that all pilots see them and they all they all know about this but they, they can't talk about it because they might lose their jobs really really wow. right so and he was dead serious about it and he, he was a pilot no no joke about that and he knows what he's talking about so I was really interested in this but, it, but then it, it got weirder he started telling me that like um, someone he knew who flew a, a commercial flight to a a Spanish airport I think and uh, they basically there were uh, there was a UFO tracking the plane, and uh, by the time they got to the airport, all of the passengers were taken into some mysterious terminal, not the usual terminal, and were all made to sign non-disclosure agreements. And I, I kind of checked out there, and uh, as it turns out, he's a good guy, but he believes a lot of odd things. It's this is not the only strange belief he has, which makes it less credible to me personally. I don't know how you feel about people who. Well, I, I have come into contact with uh, some enigmatic figures from the uh, the southeast coast of England who have also uh, spotted such things, um, whose uh, parents were in the Air Force and were the, the Royal. Oh, do you have any stories? Uh, I'd have to go back to this guy and get some finer points, but supposedly his father had brought him to uh, a beach on the... Suffolk coast um where they had he, he described seeing some object uh kind of complete some fairly angular transit paths above their head and and eventually uh the uh object that he had seen just shot straight up uh into the sky but um the guy himself will admit that he has for a long time uh dabbled in some uh, extracurricular uh, <laughs> substances substances so. yeah okay fair enough uh, just to get back to space force there um so so this this guy who told me that story he was big into disclosure he's the kind of guy who would tell you oh yeah yep it's it's happening next year you know it's all going to come 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 out now and, and disclosure is always happening next year it's been happening next year for the last 10 years but of course with all of the stuff that came out after 2017 with them. Um, the ATIP group and the, 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 the basically the, the reveal that, yes, there was a small department in the American military who were actually investigating uh, UAEs, as they call them now. Oh, it's oh, UAP. It's UAP, I was wrong. Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. So they renamed it to, to make it sound a bit less uh, loaded, I think. Cause oh. The term UFO has become, obviously... Um, very loaded over the years. People, when they hear it now, they think, oh, flying saucers and aliens and stuff, whereas 
the military in fact are kind of like well no it just means that we saw something and we don't immediately know what it is and i mean chances are it's you know a, a, a new type of plane either from the americans or from somebody else and uh i i suppose on that topic um i'm not sure did you hear just uh, maybe two days ago uh Russia announced that it had deployed its very first uh, hypersonic missile. Apparently, they're the only country in the world to have uh, active uh, missiles such as these. Sort of thing that might cause a few UFO sightings as well, if these are odd-looking things that don't look quite like anything we'd have seen in the skies before. Well, it looks like a big cigar. It looks like the thing out of um, Moonraker. Yeah. <laughs> Well, cigar-shaped objects are a, a staple of UFO lore. Anyway, Chris, you had a you have a podcast-related story to tell, haven't you? Uh, not so much a story, but um, I had the pleasure of going to the Cork Podcast Festival there uh, this uh, October, and uh, got to see Bret Hart, of course. Uh, and uh, the second night, I actually went to those conspiracy guys and. Unfortunately, I, I didn't get to meet uh, Gordon Rochford or Gordo, as he's known, uh, on that evening. But uh, I did track him down like a, a spook on Washington Street. <laughs> I, I hung inside a, a doorway and uh, I was uh, he, he walked by and I, I just pulled, I pulled him out of the crowd and said, I, I have to talk to you. <laughs> Something for Every me. second I spend talking to you, my life is in jeopardy. <laughs> so Gordo's a, a, a nice old crater and uh, he's he sat down and well he didn't sit down we, we stood in the rain <laughs> and he, he talked to, to me about his show and uh, some stuff he had planned for the, the future year so it was a uh, really nice to meet such a guy and that that podcast was a load of fun and um, there was uh, an interesting crowd there of uh, uh, conspiracy zealots there, were there believers there certainly were a lot of what Gordo might say like not a lot of what I say is like you you won't agree with everything he says, and I I certainly don't. But there there's definitely things there that you will agree with, and and you know kind of uh it'll help you think uh, a bit more freely about things, which is is the main yeah. point of it really. Uh, so what else do we have? Um, I have a couple of recommendations of things I've seen or read or watched recently. So for Christmas this year, I finally. Uh, got a copy of Paperbacks from Hell by Grady Hendrix. I've been looking at this for, I think it came out in 2016, so I've seen it around uh, for a few years, and it's fantastic. I can't believe I waited so long to get it because it's right in my wheelhouse, as the Americans say. Um, it is basically what it sounds like. It's a collection of covers and descriptions and plot summaries of all those trashy old um, horror novels, from, particularly from the 70s and the 80s. I, I have I won't say I collected these but I do pick them up from time to time when I see them when I was younger these were more common in secondhand bookshops you don't see them that much anymore they become more and more rare every year I guess but um I, a few of them from the book I do recognize their old friends uh, and I just thought to give you a flavor of it because the the text it's 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 sort of like a coffee table book which people primarily buy for pictures and they they I mean it's worth the book is worth it just for the collection of covers alone they're absolutely astonishing really from really great stuff to really trashy stuff but the text itself is great Hendrix is a good writer he's penned a couple of horror novels and I actually love his um his journalism about the history of uh of horror of horror fiction his article about him um, 
psychic detectives from the <laughs> rubbish. De- I think it's called rubbish psychic detectives <laughs> from the Victorian era is like one of the funniest things I've ever read. But just to give you a flavor, here's a bit of text for a book, uh, a horror novel about primarily about aliens called Brother Kind by J.N. Williamson. And it's from 1987. So here's what Hendrix says about that one. Kind starts as your typical abduction story with a uh, main character gangbanged on a UFO by a bunch of midget aliens who must use the power of their collective semen to overcome her DNA's natural resistance. Also, Bigfoot joins in because he was hitching a lift. Returning home, she finds hypnosis and love in the arms of parapsychologist Martin Rubin, but the two are menaced by men in black. Ruben unravels the conspiracy. Alien Greys have teamed up with Bigfoot and the Men in Black and Mothman to seed humanity with alien slash human babies. P.S. They're not aliens at all, but part of a hidden race that we used to call fairies. Fortunately, Martin is able to melt the Men in Black and the Greys with the power of the rock band Kiss. Specifically, their hit Firehouse, which he finds on an acid rock station. Brilliant. So, uh, again, trashy and... Uh, not not very uh, not very PC, but um, they they weren't those books. Most of them they were pretty pretty awful with their. <laughs> so that's by uh, Grady Hendrix, is it? Yeah, yeah. So um, available yeah. in. I'm I'm actually shocked at, at how much I enjoyed it and how long I put off buying it. I really shouldn't have. I should have got it the second I saw it. So high hard recommendation there. Uh, I've also just finished um, watching the Chernobyl series, which was great. That was a cheerful one for Christmas and. But not really, really great stuff. And uh, I was there and wasn't really young enough. I wasn't really old enough to remember it, but I was there. Any recommendations, Chris? Recommendations? Uh, well, I've watched, uh, it's probably an old one now, Ad Astra. Oh, yeah. Uh, Is that good? Guy goes to see his dad in space. <laughs> you summed that up nicely. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit more than that. It's it's, it's a... It's a slow and it's it's quiet and it's calm for for a lot of it, um, but it's a it's a decent romp through space. It's all a big conspiracy anyway. He and they're just trying to, uh, you know, send out these uh, alien movies so that oh to prepare us for uh, disclosure, of course. When, when they do eventually. Which brings us around to the topic of the episode. We are of course talking about the X Files. And we did a mini a mini rewatch of season one. Now the X Files obviously was tremendously influenced by um, real things, well, supposedly real things from paranormal culture, and then in turn the X Files um, was itself a big influence on the developing paranormal culture. And uh, that's one thing I'm interested in talking about. And the way we've decided to do this is, well, I've asked Chris to come up with four episodes from season one that we feel might typify the show uh, and get us into it because I'm not tremendously familiar with it i've seen bits and pieces of episodes over the years uh, and i am but i'm more familiar with the with the the folklore behind them than with the show with the show's own lore itself okay so that, i mean to i suppose explain uh some of the fundamentals of the x-files you you have an overarching mythos uh which will you know there there's maybe about 30 percent of episodes dealing with that uh, and that's that's to do with the, the the long the long game story as it were that's the the overarching alien conspiracy stuff and then all the rest of the episodes 
they're very hit and miss. Uh, <laughs> they're they're called monster of the week episodes. Now I'd I'd love to know where that term came from. Is it really seventy thirty? Is that is do you reckon that's what the breakdown is? Uh, from my experience, yeah, they tend to have two episodes at the start. Yeah, that are linked. Yeah, two episodes in the middle and two episodes at the end. I think what might have happened is, because I've tried to dip into the X-Files several times over the years and not quite, kind of, it hasn't quite sung for me, you know? And what often happens is I watch those couple of episodes at the beginning, like most recently in 2016 when there was a recent series, and I really liked those two. And then as soon as it got Monster of the Week, I, I just drifted off. Yeah. Does maybe, that happen to you? May, yeah, um, I mean, maybe you should just watch all the the Mythos episodes. Uh, but then, I mean, know. by all accounts, some of the Monster of the Weeks are, are really good. You just... Yeah, and, and they do sometimes bring in a little bit of the uh, the additional information. Uh, for example, uh, I think it's uh, Tombs in episode 21 of uh, the first series that has the first appearance of Walter Skinner. Which is the uh, assistant uh, director of the FBI, I believe. Um, so without watching that, you might miss his inception, you know. So I've taken you on board for this task because you have been making your way through every episode for a few years now. Oh, tell me about it, <laughs> it's been a, So tell me about this epic trick. Why has it been so difficult? I guess about three or four years ago, um, I really don't know what spurred me to to start watching the X-Files. Uh, I, I remember my sister watching it when, when I was uh, younger, but uh, something made me pick it up. Um, and so originally, I believe it was on Netflix. So I started watching as much as I could on Netflix. And almost like overnight, they, they took it off Netflix as they tend to do. And they canceled it. Um, then after that, I said, look, I'm into it now. I, I saw it was on Amazon Prime. So I was like, okay, uh, I'll make the move to Amazon Prime. And I started, I managed to get another few few episodes, um, you know, down and another few seasons, in fact. And uh, like I was almost there. And then I even got to like, they, they took it off Amazon Prime and there was a bunch of other services and it was just so hard to track down what you wanted. And I, I, at this point, had like really become enamored with the series. And I, I, I was insistent that I was not going to go and do illegal downloads or, or whatever. Uh, to the point where I even tweeted to Gillian Anderson and <laughs> David Duchovny, um, you know, I want to watch the rest of your, <laughs> your, 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 uh, your TV show. I don't want to stream it illegally. What can I do? I can't find it anywhere. Um, so, I mean, did they reply? No, <laughs> no, no, unfortunately not. Ooh. Um, so, you know, I, I found some other ways to watch bits and pieces, uh, like that without going into too much detail. Uh, I mean, you can pay for services in Canada and America. You're making this sound really tawdry. <laughs> yeah. It, Paying it, for services. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what I, I mean by uh, paying for these sort of services. Um, and eventually I was ready to give up. I think I was in season six or season seven. And I was like, I, I just can't eke out any more episodes. <laughs> and I was just in Cork City. And I walked by 
um, a box set of the X-Files and it's like... All of them? All of them, just in a row and it was 20 quid because the actual box set was maybe like 120 quid or some, something crazy like that. And I walked by this second-hand store and I saw the, the box set there, 25 quid. Grand. Pick it up, brought it back home and I was looking through all the, the CDs and everything and I... I got to the last box of the season, uh, season, uh, I don't know, was it nine or something like that? And the last disc was missing <laughs> from the thing. It was like a bad joke, you know? Uh, and I also presume it didn't have like the 2016 series and... No, it, it didn't have those. So I, I'm not even worrying about those <laughs> un, until I, I finish off this box set. Um, so, yeah. So that's you're up to you're up to about that season then nine is it? I uh, yeah. So I've um I've I've found a guy who works with me who has uh a lot of DVDs uh the later DVDs uh his name's uh, Dave Kelly so he actually helped me pick out some of the the episodes today I, I talked uh, with him about that um so thank you for for that Dave um. And uh, so hopefully in this time, five years, maybe I'll have, have watched the entire Irv. <laughs> so, all right. So we, we chose four episodes. We, we, we started with three, but I insisted on doing the pilot as well, just because I think you have to. And I think it explains a bit more about I, I wanted to go back and see how the whole setup was, was, was set up, so to speak. So we looked at three Mythos episodes and one Monster of the Week. So we looked at the pilot. That the, was uh, aired... September 10th, 1993. 93, so kind of Jurassic Park era, sort of, yeah. <laughs> just to give you a... Gulf War era. Gulf War, yeah, there's a lot of Gulf War in some of these episodes. The second one we looked at was the, the amusingly named Deep Throat. Uh, September 17th, 1993, so just seven days after the pilot, obviously. We, uh, we looked at the episode EBE. Uh, well, before that in, in the list is the Jersey Devil. Oh, sorry, I've gone out of order. Yeah, Jersey Devil. So when was that? October 8th, 1993. That was our token monster of the week. Yeah. Um, and then EBE was our, our concluding um, mythos episode. And that was February 18th, 1994. So to be honest, like, you, like I've seen all of these and there's some great episodes in there. It was very hard to pick out a particular episode, you know, to sum it all up. But... Uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll maybe go through some of these. and uh, from, from my reading, most people, if they were doing what we did, which was choose one monster of the week from season one, they liked the Tombs episodes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not mad about those. I find them, I've always found them kind of boring. I saw them as a kid and uh, I just wasn't grabbed by that monster. Yeah, some of my favourites are actually Darkness Falls. Uh, you know, some of the ones that were to kind of go travelling a bit. Yeah. Uh, Darkness Falls is about like flesh-eating parasites in a... North, all right so so um x, x files was was different to me as a kid and like like i said i haven't seen all of it i haven't i haven't even seen lots of it but i knew about it and i think what was different about it was that it was supposed to be based on stuff that was quote unquote real and, and that makes it different from you know i can imagine being a kid and being spooked by you know um uh, the twilight zone or, or you know amazing stories or any of those anthology horror shows that were on in, in the 90s or that had reboots in the 90s a lot of them um, but the X-Files was different, wasn't it? Because this is stuff that I was reading about even before the X-Files came out. So when I was quite young, I was six or seven, and I was reading books about UFOs and monsters and stuff. 
and I thought like, well, maybe it's not real, but it could be. Yeah. As in like, okay, I don't necessarily believe all of these stories, but if even some of them are, then that's that's terrifying. And 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 for that reason, like the X Files was really different. It's not like you're going up against like fictional monsters, you know. You might be scared of you know the Daleks from Doctor Who, or you might be scared of Darth Vader or something. But that's not the same as being scared of alien greys. Because if you're at home reading books telling you that that stuff might be real, it's complete. It's a different ballgame altogether, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, even some of the the monsters of the weeks there, you just like think oh, that that could be the guy next door. And I think I think that falls into that that shapes the X Files and it makes it a different kind of a show because with something that's supposed to be real or at least could be, but hasn't been confirmed either way in reality. It always has to occupy this kind of halfway house, this kind of shadow world of, you know, Mulder is always getting one more clue as to what's going on, but then it's taken away from him and he can never prove what he thinks and he never really gets the proof that he needs, or at least, you know, Scully's never looking when (laughs) (laughs) she happens to be looking the other way when he sees something every single time. So it's not like, you know, know, the the, the baddies aren't out in the open and the creatures and the, the, the truth famously isn't out in the open i mean it's out there but it's it's uh, you can't see it you, you noticed like a, a definite subtlety yeah in the episodes that we we've seen and i know that early on and like you said later on obviously they have to get i mean they, they have to do something after seven or nine seasons you know and maybe it gets a bit silly i don't know maybe is some of that subtly lost sure it must be Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I won't give uh, anything away because we're, we're we will be doing season. spoilers for these four episodes. But we're we're talking about season one today, and yeah. you know how 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 it came to be. Um, so I mean, Chris Carter, I believe, has, has said in interviews that you know he was in, inspired by things like the the Watergate scandal. Yeah, that's all over these early episodes, um, and now I was just reading on Wikipedia there that. He read a report that 3.7 million Americans may have been abducted by aliens. I would imagine, right, if you, I mean, from what I've read, numbers of people who believe weird things then and now, it's it's way higher now. This stuff has, this stuff has become mainstream. It was fringe, but it's mainstream now because of things like the X-Files. Now, I think it would have happened anyway, but the X-Files was the thing. If you had, if you wanted... Yeah, if you want to point to one pop culture phenomena that like made this stuff mainstream, it would be the X Files. No question about it. You know, mm-hmm. I did like when I was little. I didn't know anyone who cared about this stuff. And if I was to ask anyone about uh, any of these topics, you know, they would have thought that well, that's obviously bullshit. Why? Why are you wasting your time with that? Whereas now we have, you know, the highest leaders of the free world engaging in absurd conspiracy theories because of this type of type of thinking. So I actually think that we we can't afford to ignore this stuff anymore because it is being taken seriously um, by some some pretty important people in pretty dangerous positions. Uh, and I think it's really interesting to go back and trace that change. So so this all all the post post truth stuff that happened since 2016, I think is really wrapped up in this. So we're in a way we're looking at the prehistory of of that, you know, and everything that's in the X-Files, the mistrust of authority and um, the, the, you know, turning uh, not wanting to hear from experts it's, it's really weird to go back and look at that post-Watergate time when we were on the road to where we are now, but it just feels all a little bit more quaint. I mean, really, what at the end of the day, the difference is that, you know, if, if their biggest shock and scandal was Watergate, Nixon got caught doing the wrong thing, put up his hands and said, OK, I, I was wrong, and he stood down. 
whereas nobody is standing down now. People are getting caught for all sorts of terrible things and instead they just say, well, okay, you have your truth, I have mine. You have your facts, I have mine. I don't care. I, and yeah, yeah, so you caught me lying. I don't, what, what's, what's the point? So I'm like, how did we get to this point? Yeah. How, how do we distrust um, the very notion of truth and the very notion of a, you know, that there is one concrete reality and the seeds of that, for better or for worse, are in, are in the likes of the X-Files. So um, if you know a little bit about like what was happening in, in kind of conspiracy and paranormal thinking around about this time, you have this guy called Bill Cooper, who was, um, who was a, a massive conspiracy theorist who became very big at this time. He wrote a book called uh, Behold a Pale Horse. And he's one of the guys who really, like conspiracy thinking existed before this, obviously, and actually it goes right back to the, the very beginnings of the UFO phenomena in some ways, back to the 1940s with the, the Maury Island incident and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the men in black actually show up very early in the narrative, a lot earlier than you usually hear about. Uh, again, depending on whose, whose book you read or how you interpret something. But uh, this guy, Bill Cooper, really kicked it into high gear. Uh, and I, I would say he shaped it into, he took all these like disparate threads of the JFK assassination, uh, the alien conspiracies, the, the abductions and the greys, and he took them all together and tied them together into one narrative which i think we'd recognize today as being the sort of thing that um you know the likes of alex jones would, would peddle yeah I'm, I'm reading about some of his stuff there it's uh... the weirdest thing about him is that he at some point in his life he turned against the whole alien thing and he just he just went into straight up con- um, political conspiracies about kennedy and things like uh, yeah he just he, at first he spent a few years saying you know the government are up to bad shit and it's the the greys behind it and they're going to um you know, kill off the po- reduce the population and make it into slaves for the greys. And then he kind of dumped the the alien side of it and just but kept everything else. So by the time he died, I think he would have hated to have been remembered as a UFO guy, but that's how he is remembered. Mm. Uh, but his his other and more, if you like, his more straight, more Watergate style um, political conspiracies uh, have had incredible influence ever since. I think. Absolutely. Will we we'll get to the, we'll get dive into the pilot. The pilot. The pilot episode. So I, as you probably all know, uh, a pilot episode is, is sort of usually a low budget kind of job that's uh, kind of done to show the general gist of a, a show for any sort of um, TV company. Just see how the and they it may get picked up. It may not. Very often there's a. Uh, cast changes or other stylistic changes so they can be a bit weird to go back and look at them but in this one I, I you find most of the elements already in place yeah i, I mean there, there is a little bit of difference in the music yeah uh, obviously you're not seeing the the classic x-files Op- yeah. theme opening of the opening sequence isn't in place yet but almost everything else is um which which is really it kind of shows that it's a simple it's a simple con- concept really you have the skeptic and you have the believer and they have to work together it's a you know, classic chalk and cheese, two cops in the same case scenario. Uh, but, you know, it's a simple thing. It works well and uh, not surprising to see all that. One thing I did notice was, okay, so right from the beginning, you don't have the theme music and the, the iconic opening, but you do have the typewriter font. You know, the famous thing that used to get spoofed on The Simpsons and stuff like that. I've, I've done that for a few video productions clack, I've worked clack, on. Clack, 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 Washington. And some people absolutely eight. hate it. Do they? 
Yeah, and some people love it. I mean, I mean, I think at this point it's a cliche. Like, if you're not spoofing something, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, it's it's it can only really be used ironically nowadays. This was for a pro wrestling show, so oh, I, fair enough. I think it passed. <laughs> Did it have a next files theme? Uh, I can't remember what the theme was. I know actually now that I think of it. So here's here's what I think. Right, the the language and the the the, the visuals of the. So even the concept of files, the X files, right? That has been hugely influential, right? So when we think about files, we think about physical storage of things, right? So on the, on the, on the, on the face of it, it's boring because it's bureaucratic and it's, you know, filing stuff. But like if there's a file for something, especially something odd or unusual or unbelievable, well, that implies that, you know, and there was an investigation. It implies that there's a reality there. And that it was worth... Investigating. Worth investigating. So it brings together the mundane and the extraordinary in a very efficient way. So, you know, if you say something like, oh, the, you know, the, the Deckmont uh, Woods encounter file has been opened again, that's, that's very evocative language, you know? It's, it's like, makes you think, oh, something really weird happened. It was worth investigating. And some of the, like, the, the nicest use of that in the X-Files is when they open up a file from the 1930s yeah. or the, the 1940s that was kind of forgotten yeah. about. And it kind of emphasizes Mulder as a geek of the, as a nerd of the paranormal that he has this, he has this information in his head and he can reel off dates and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a bit of that in Ghostbusters as well with um, Dan Aykroyd saying, oh, it's just like the sponge migration of 1952 or whatever. Cause he, he was a part, he still is a paranormal buff as well. But uh, Mulder also physically has the files in his in his basement office and is able to pull them out, and yeah, it, it it like it it lends, it does a lot of the heavy lifting of lending credence to things that are a bit off the wall. Just the mere fact that they are files. You can put them on paper. Yeah, somebody, some some official has like like paranormal UFO people go out of their mind whenever there's official recognition from any authority of. UFO things like the fact that oh my god a a tip you know that group within the US military who studied UFOs for like five or six years they lost their minds about that uh, they lose their minds about the the, Ren- the Rendlesham case because there was an official report left by an American commander mm-hmm. who who still believe who still stands by it I believe or at least he did for many decades afterwards so like the the officialness of it I think is important mm-hmm. and and that iconography of the of the file has been associated with the paranormal ever since and um, I, I went to Rendlesham Forest la- uh, last year uh, which is the site of a famous UFO case on the British East, East British coast in, in 1980 and they have the forestry service there have a trail you can do right where you can walk they give you a map and you walk around the forest and at each place along the trail there's a picture a diagram showing you what happened according to the folklore and guess what? Everyone is drawn to look like a file. Whoa. Because of, because of the influence of the X-Files and because of this powerful idea. Mm-hmm. And there's something very Cold War about physical files. It's, very, it's, it's all tied Tac- up with like... Tactile. Tactile, but it's also tied up with like spy novels and, you know, ideas about um, kind of exciting mid-20th century adventures in, in, in spying and Cold War stuff. So I think that's all. And, and the typewriter font fits in with that too. It's mm-hmm. got that kind of old-fashioned, you know, bureaucratic feel yeah. to it. <coughs> and e- even even though <coughs> this is being broadcast in the in the early '90s, when like Scully uses a laptop, they still they still go for the old-fashioned click 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 yeah. you know typewriter font because it has all those connotations. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of heavy lifting being done 
with those stylistic choices even before there's any dialogue or anything so it sets some expectations in place um so the, the pilot episode is is set in Bellefleur, Oregon. I'm not sure if, if that's an ode to uh, uh, the the hills driving from Montreal to uh, uh, to to the states uh, when oh, they were abducted. But it's uh, a bit of a reach. <laughs> Bellefleur is, uh, uh, I suppose, French for a nice flower, and uh, obviously the Quebec provinces, <laughs> the fleur de lis. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Now you're thinking like a conspiracy no, theorist. No, Hang on, can, can, can you reach the cho- the the, <laughs> the board there? We'll put another string on the <laughs> on the map. And uh, the whole series, of course, was filmed uh, in in uh, Vancouver and surrounding areas, which lends at least the first seasons uh, a very kind of washed out, greeny, watery, rainy kind of a look. And it's fun. It's just funny to me because like they're pretending to be in vastly different parts of the U.S. And they all look the same. They all look green and vibrant, even when they're supposed to be in, like, Utah or Idaho. Don't you love that, uh, j- just like the, the the forest that's used so often in the, the X-Files? It's visible on the, the poster, the famous I Want to Believe poster. Um, just the, that particular type of environment. Yeah, well, that, those, that picture is from a... 1960s UFO contactee, a Swiss guy called Billy Mayer or Billy Meyer. Uh, I've got I've got his UFO on my on my T-shirt at the moment, just mm. as it happens. Editing Keen here. Uh, looks like I need to study my T-shirt maybe a little bit more closely. Uh, Billy Meyer, of course, was better known during the 70s than the 60s for his UFO books and tours. Though he did claim that his uh, contactee encounters went back to the 1960s and even earlier. Though, of course, it's hard to know what to believe. The truth, of course, is out there. But he was famous for producing um, very, very clear pictures of, of UFOs. You know, most paranormal photography is blurry yeah. and, and, and bad. But his pictures are very clear. He had very nice models, basically, <laughs> that, he, that he used. Uh, so it made, them, they, it made him popular, but it also made it pretty easy to see what, how he was doing it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it is nice that the, the early seasons have that kind of uniform look. They, they give it a, a certain atmosphere. Uh, we're, we're sent into the... Immediately, things kick off with uh, Scully being sent into basically spy on... Is that too strong a word? But she's... I, she, I would think so. I, I don't think she believes herself that she's being sent to spy on Mulder. But she does ask... She asks her superiors... Include, is it is a cigarette smoking man right in it from the beginning? He is. He's uh, wandering around. Oh, that's office. right. He comes into them afterwards, but he doesn't become a character for a little bit later. Yeah, I mean, originally, I, I, I believe he was not even meant to be much more than a kind of a, a clandestine figure in the background. Government spook. But people were so drawn to him that they were... So she uses the word um, debunk. She says, am I to understand you want me to go and debunk the X-Files? Um, and like you said, I don't think we're supposed to think that she necessarily is sympathetic to them. She's just kind of a hard-nosed, science-minded person. But um, the again, what the early stuff, I believe, has far more links to actual um, UFO lore, right, mm-hmm. than the later stuff. Because obviously as the show gets legs and picks up steam it develops its own mythology which becomes its own separate thing but early on you can tell that they're drawing from this real stuff so um the the famous um, project blue book was was the u.s air force's attempt to investigate ufos for for years 
uh, from the late 40s right up until 1969 I think it shot but there were three iterations of it and it was called um, Project Sign and then it was called Project Grudge it was kind of reinvented after a year or so with the uh, with, with the direct intention of debunking UFOs and um, making out anyone who studied them to be a kook so this was a deliberate thing like like there have been leaks about this and um, it was it was a matter of fact that was their that was their purpose so the notion of like the government actively wanting to debunk this stuff does come from something real yeah and it's, it's developed to the point now where they they think that stuff was what it was uh, to debunk people but then they think it was using that debunking method to actually cover up what they were trying to debunk in the first place and and you, I, I, I understand you've been reading a bit more about stuff that happened in the 80s and the 90s where the government were actively pushing disinformation on certain UFO um, researchers you, you've got like the Benowitz case and, and stuff like that where the yeah, I've I've just been listening to a, a podcast on the Majestic Twelve, man, and I think that might be a little bit out of our. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's 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 fantastic stuff. If you're reading anything about it, like the basically, yeah, uh, sections of the government literally pushed false information, saying that UFOs were real, and the government were investigating them on a, on a massive scale, to basically drive individual researchers nuts and um, have them push this false information out into the the ecosystem of UFO researchers. Um, and and just make it really really hard to know what's true and what's not, which is really what the X Files is all about. It was happening at almost the same time as well. Yeah, and uh, it takes a long time to actually try and figure out what's going on in the, uh, I suppose the the villains camp. Now I will say that even after like four episodes, I was starting to get that kind of lost vibe of. You're just going to keep kicking the can down the road. You're never going to commit to something. You don't even know what the answer is because there's a lot of scenes with with the character Deep Throat who, when it's just, you know, he might be lying to you, he might not. Sometimes he has to lie. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, it's like what a conspiracy theorist says when they're trying to cover their back. Yeah. So like, if, well, if something that they say turns out not to be true, they can just say, oh, well, you know, we have to put out this information sometimes. <laughs> and it's just like having your cake and eating it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we'll I I I'll withhold judgment until we watch a few more episodes. Until you've watched all, you know, twelve all twelve seasons, yeah. hours of my life, <laughs> months of my life. <laughs> uh, so there's some classic um, stuff in this episode, like really, really classic UFO um, stuff for the folklore. So there's vehicle interference, and um, when the Last car, time. The, yeah, the car stops on the missing time. Now I love I love the scene where um, Mulder and Scully are in the car. And a few minutes passes that they can't explain. And it's like they've been put into a trance or something. And then he, I think it was it nine minutes that he can't account for on his watch. Oh. And he's thrilled. He's like delighted. He comes out of the car. He has his kind of spray paint. Yeah. Ready to go. Yeah. He, he like he's mark, putting marks on the road uh, so he can remember the spot for later. So he's planned all this. And it's just a wonderful moment of like a fanboy like getting what he wants. Yeah. Like he's been reading about this stuff his whole life. Nobody believes him. And now he's coming, he's personally experienced like a classic symptom of it. Mm-hmm. And he knows exactly what it is. And he's waiting, he's been waiting for it his whole life. It's a, it's a great moment for anyone who's a buff about something. And he knows what to do. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I love, I love that. I, we've said off mic that his acting is a bit flat in some of this episode. It picks up almost immediately in the, the, the next in episode. The, but, but that scene is great. 
and my heart went out to him in that scene. And mm-hmm. um, even in the first few episodes, I do feel like um, Gillian Anderson is a better actor than Dukovny. Yeah, it takes would, him longer to. It would seem so. Now warm he, up to the role, maybe. He's probably playing a character that isn't uh, that. Seen, seen that regularly before. Yeah. He's like you, like he's almost got the same. Um, uh, what 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 you call it? Uh, the same mannerisms as maybe Norman Bates. Would you say he's, he's very, a bit of a Jeff Goldblum? I thought he's very calm and just. Yeah, even when he's angry or he's he's exasperated, um, his face doesn't change a whole lot, yeah. and his tone doesn't change a whole lot. And and that that's fine. That's part of the character, but it is interesting to notice. Yeah, he's a bit, he's a bit flat in this one. So they arrive in the town, and we get a bit of uh, kind of villagers with pitchforks going on. <laughs> it's a classic thing, and it's a classic X Files thing, isn't it? Where they show up in a small town, something strange is happening, and guess what? The local authorities don't like them. Yeah. There's there's usually a, a chubby middle aged sheriff who's not happy <laughs> that they're I, investigating. I think the reason that they put characters like that in is so that if they are connected to whatever's going on that there is some sort of resolution at the end of the episode yeah even if they don't resolve the mystery at least they can finger the guy who is is responsible for trying to on a small scale they have to get a they have to get a small victory absolutely but they're never going to get one over on the bigger conspiracy yeah because there there are very few like conclusions yeah uh, if any uh in the X-Files. So one of the other little details in this one, so they're basically in, they're in this town where uh, a bunch of kids have been disappearing Yeah, in that's the forest. Right. And and some of them have been reappearing with uh, little marks on their yes. backside. And implants. So this whole <laughs> notion of implants had, had be- by, by this time, by the 90s, had become a staple part of UFO lore as well. Um, again, I think it picks up really in the 80s uh, I, I seem to remember it being mentioned in, in the work of people like Bud Hopkins and um, John Mack, who studied, uh, they both studied um, uh, alien abductions. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was the time when all of that was, was becoming a thing. I've always found alien um, implants funny because it's just like, really, they need to do this? Like, in some ways, their tech is just startlingly low tech, like that they would need a physical thing to be able to do that. And again, it's just, that's kind of where our minds are at in the 1980s, you know? But then think of today, there's, like, there, there are a lot of people with... Chips, yeah. Chips, tracking that's, implants. And that's a huge element of, of conspiracy lore as well. That's total Bill Cooper stuff. Mm-hmm. So it turns out, again, it's quite vague in this episode, isn't it? But the, there is some sort of abduction thing happening, but we don't know for sure. All we know is that there's something weird going on and the authorities are trying to cover it up. That's the main, those are the main elements of most Mythos episodes. That's right. Uh, occasionally they'll get somebody who helps them out, but uh, in this case they, they try and uh, exhume one of the abductees or the, the person who had this problem and uh, comically they turn over the coffin and uh, you know, Mulder cracks a few off-color jokes yeah and uh, there seems to be some sort of uh crazy body inside that's halfway decomposed uh and you get a bit of scully saying look this is an orangutan uh and Mulder is obviously convinced that 
you know, it's an, an alien body. However, he does say, uh, oh, I share your concerns. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, <clears throat> one of the other things that happens in this episode is, um, again, there, there's not much what, what's sometimes called early season weirdness. That's from TV tropes. But basically, you know, when, when you take a show that you've, you, you're very familiar with and then you go back and watch the beginning episodes and you realize, oh, it took them a while to actually figure out what the show is going to be like. So there's some stuff in it that uh, kind of never really happens again. Right. The, the classic example for me is like there's an early Father Ted episode where, uh, you know, a little cartoon bit happens with the rabbits jumping in and out of Dougal's head. Yeah. And it's 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 a good it's a funny joke but it's not really the kind of joke the show ever makes again right it's just they they're feeling out their limits like how crazy how wacky are we going to be and in 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 the x-files there you have that scene where again it's part of the plot in terms of like an emphasis on alien implants but scully thinks she might have one on her body so she comes over to get Mulder to check her out and there's a bit of they do a thing that they don't really ever do again which is to like have a like an under underwear scene basically like yeah. Which is not really how she's ever treated it. I mean, th- there are sexual moments with Scully later, in later seasons, but they they all seem to have a, a fairly decent context to them. Yeah, this one felt not a big problem, but just a small off note. Yeah. And it's just the kind of thing where, like, you know what, in most shows, then as now, you know, you have your female lead, she's a good-looking woman, and there's usually a bit where, for some reason or another she gets into some sort of state of distress and that's kind of just how TV shows have been for a long time mm-hmm. for better or for worse but um, you know it's kind of like the show was doing it because that's the kind of things that shows did and then afterwards they kind of realised oh, you know what we're not that kind of show yeah uh, there's also I suppose one of Mulder's main um, kind of tropes is that a good oh, yeah. word but he he rarely if ever sleeps uh, at all in the X-Files and if he is in bed or if he's uh, you know if it's late at night there's a, and he's dozing off there's always some sort of distressing situation happening to him he's having a nightmare or you know someone's coming through the windows or something like that um, and so it's it's interesting at the start of this episode they're flying out to Oregon and uh, Mulder's actually asleep on the plane and there's crazy turbulence on board the plane and everyone's freaking out yet he's as calm as as can be that's interesting mm-hmm. I, it's the idea I suppose that like when he's on the case he, because he's an, he's being portrayed always as an obsessive he's obsessed with his work because he's obsessed with finding the truth so like whenever he's on the case he doesn't sleep so whenever they're on a stakeout and they're, you know, they're sitting in the car in some mm-hmm. forest waiting for something weird to happen she's always asleep and he's always out and about but then when he's just sitting on a plane he'll, he'll sleep then yeah <laughs> I don't know. So I want to shoot to the end of this episode, unless you have anything else to say no, about it. I mean, it, it goes through the motions that you'll see in almost every kind of uh, X-Files episode, and uh, we won't spoil the ending. Well, we're, we're in a bit of a spoiler zone already, I think. All I was going to say is that it's a bit of a Raiders of the Last Ark moment, mm-hmm. where you find out that it's implied that um, not only has this one you know, important relic been found that might prove something big but actually the government has tons of that stuff and yeah. <laughs> they're all hiding it in a warehouse somewhere so i mean that's very obviously a tip of the hat to to indiana jones there's absolutely no way they did that without having that in mind it's so similar 
yeah, the, the, this this happens again at the end of the entire season. Uh, another walk down those large corridors of, of files by the cigarette smoking man. Right. Uh, we'll shoot to the second episode we watched, which is the unfortunately named Deep Throat. Yeah, we can probably get through these episodes a bit quicker. Yeah, I might not have as much to say about the other ones. Uh, I will say that it's interesting how in 1993, you know, viewers would have read that and, and said, oh, Deep Throat, oh, that's a Watergate reference. But I, I don't know that as many younger folks would know that now, or at least would they not immediately make that reference? They probably connected to something else. Mm-hmm. which is unfortunate uh, here we have the opening the iconic opening theme for the first time that's right I, I think one of the things that has improved maybe you didn't notice that as much was I definitely the music has improved significantly since the pilot episode now when I was younger and this was on but I didn't watch a lot of it that that theme music alone was enough to like give me the willies I was really scared of it um, I think I think the X-Files existed for me not as an actual show with like plot and characters it just existed as this, like, scary thing. Like, this, because it was supposed to be real, because it was the UFOs and the monsters that my books were telling me might be real, um, it existed on its own kind of planet. Not that I watched a lot of it. I caught bits and pieces of it here and there, but I was often too scared to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. And that muse, that theme tune was enough. And the opening sequence is, is really great. But, like, looking at it now, some of the things that they put in there that scared me as a kid are a bit... Like seeds. Yeah, the seeds germinating. Like, who, who decided to put that in there? <laughs> um, and, yeah. But uh, I'm still spooked by the, 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 the curly and photography hand, which is the, the bright colored blue and red hand, and the, the white ghost that's, like, flying into it. Ooh. And I love the, uh, just the, the completely upfront <laughs> government. Denies. Government denies knowledge. It's, yeah, I can imagine Chris Carter being like, <laughs> hmm, how do we get this idea across? And we'll just, we'll just put it blatantly on the screen. Let's just type it. So uh, d- the episode Deep Throat is uh, basically about a Air Force pilot who has kind of disappeared. Um, you know, he may or may not have contracted some sort of radiation poisoning or, or something close to that. Well, also something which is frequently uh, associated with UFO encounters in the lore. So, uh, as it happens, Mulder and Scully are sent out to uh, investigate this one. And it's in, in they're in they're supposed to be in Idaho, North Idaho, which is a pretty dry place from what I remember. And uh, uh, anyway, it looks lovely and green. <laughs> yeah, it's a, Vancouver. I think you said it was a, a fake Air Force base in Idaho called Ellen Ellen. Uh, Nellis Nellis Air Force Base. Well, uh, Nellis Air Force Base is in Nevada, but the yeah, the, the name, name is is clearly so. It's called um, Ellen Air Force Base in this episode, <laughs> so I think it's supposed to remind you of of the other one, for sure. So again, you know, they're they're making links to actual actual UFO cases, uh, and the the implication here is that in this episode, basically, is that these pilots have been either driven mad or been um been changed after after um their experiences because they've been flying um, craft that have been altered by alien tech maybe or maybe um reverse engineered alien craft or something like that and the either the the flying them at such incredible speeds and maneuvering has damaged them or even worse maybe the government has messed up their brain afterwards there's an implication that you know there are characters you can't remember yeah, things select, that they should have remembered select me- memories have been yeah. removed yeah um 
Budahas. That was oh, yeah, name. that's the name of the pilot. I like that name. Colonel Budahas. So Mulder is getting some information from uh, a guy who's kind of in the, what would you call him, deep state? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a whistleblower, we call him now. <laughs> so his name is Deep Throat, played by Jerry Harden. Yeah, a bit of a, bit of a power actor. Yeah. He's one of those, he's a, he's a that guy, he's a serious that guy. And we get to see Seth Green as well. Oh yeah, a young Seth Green shows up as a stone teenager, uh, spying on the airbase looking for UFOs. Who's just bought his first copy of uh, Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, he, he looks like he's just had his life changed by uh, <laughs> a young Axl Rose. <laughs> That's right. So uh, Mulder infiltrates the, the base to some degree and the, in fact... Dana Scully actually does see some of these strange lights operating at angular um, trajectories as well. Yeah, uh, that's a very common thing with with actual reports is people saying, "Oh, it, you know, it, if it was a craft, it was moving uh, it, it, either at speed or maneuvers that would have killed a human pilot." Mm-hmm. So they 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 go out of their way to show these things moving in a way that an aircraft couldn't or wouldn't. Yeah, apparently Chris Carter wasn't too uh, fond of the special effects used. Well, maybe he liked them, but he said they, they were a bit. They haven't aged tremendously well, no. no. I didn't think they were. It's that a sim- bad. It's a very simple effect. Yeah, yeah. I uh, think I think that these kind of like you know spooky lights at night sightings have been completely ruined by drones because, <laughs> like anything you see now that looks weird at night, that's a light is likely to be a drone, isn't it? Quite you could, likely. You could have a whole batch of mysterious lights that seem to be flying in formation. <laughs> Chances are they're drones. <laughs> they can get thousands of drones to fly in formation. Have, have you seen that thing in China? Yeah. Or wherever it was. Uh, just like thousands of them to create these images in the sky. It's uh, just amazing. But um, we get a visit from the man in black as well in this episode. Yeah. They uh, intercept Mulder and Scully as they're on the way to the Air Force base. We thought we saw a Canadian uh, reg, and we stopped it and went back to, to rewatch it. Uh, we were wrong. We, we were. It was actually an Idaho reg. Yeah. We, we were super hepped up on like trying to spot the, the, the hidden, the hidden yeah. Canuckitude underneath <laughs> all of these episodes. Um, but um, yeah, they did a better job than... I think there was some famous potatoes there. There was a few, po- yeah, there was. Um, so they they take Mulder in and uh, it, they like, it's silly like they find him trespassing on the base and they're like okay let's like take him right through the hangar where all the secret alien stuff is yeah. and he sees it but then they do something to wipe his memory and he continues having um, meetings with this mysterious deep throat whistleblower guy who is like tremendously useful and not useful at the same time because everything he says could be a lie mm-hmm. and he tells us that and that might be a lie too and then Mulder says, I'm wondering which lie to believe. Yeah. <laughs> which kind of sums everything up. And that was kind of the point at which I was getting a bit fed up with it. I was like, you're just hedging your bets. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like Lost. You don't really know where it's going to go. And I think, I think anyone who watched the series for like many, 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 many seasons probably eventually would agree with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we see this uh, thing at the end of of the episode as well, which you'll see in an awful lot of episodes is Scully doing a voiceover while she's typing up her report on on Mulder's findings. Yeah, on an Uh, awesome early 90s. It it kind of Green text on black 
laptop or desktop. Yeah, you'd wonder how they got any sort of work done on, on those things. But um, it, it, it is another kind of thing to, to provide some sort of conclusion, even if there's no sort of conclusion. If, if you get a bit lost in the episode, you have Scully's sort of, uh, you know, um, summing up of, of their adventure. The lack of resolution was, again, one of the things that made this show a bit different. Because I, mean, I just kind of, like we said, they might have a mini resolution. They might, they, you know, they might um, out some corruption at a very small level, you know, a local level. But again, it, it fit into this idea that, like, they're dealing with something that's taken from real life where it would be ridiculous for them to like overturn the conspiracy, you know, at the end of, and, or even, even have the baddies come out into the open and identify themselves. That, that would never happen. You know, it's not, it's not the turtles fighting shredder, you know? Uh, right. Um, the last thing I want to say about deep throat is the, the, the whistleblower at the end says to Mulder about the mysterious beings behind this. He says, Oh, they've been here for a long time, Mr. Mulder. <laughs> which again implies all the really ancient alien stuff this this overarching conspiracy that like whoever they are the greys or whatnot they've been watching us or maybe they've created us or you know at least they've um, had a hand in shaping our development or maybe even our evolution you know mm-hmm. which is a huge part of um, ufo stuff and I, I think ancient aliens if you look at the numbers now for belief certainly in, in america ancient aliens is one of the highest ones like, if you ask people, do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in flying saucers? Do you believe in Bigfoot? They'll, the numbers for ancient aliens is higher than everything else right now. Absolutely. It's being heavily, it's been heavily pushed on, like, bad um, History Channel shows for, like, 10 or 15 years now. They want to believe. They want in... to believe, indeed. Shall we do our final, oh, we'll do, we'll do the Jersey Devil. This is a, a break this, from the mythos. Yeah, this is a Monster of the Week episode, so... Uh, Monster of Week episodes really have nothing else to do with uh, the the overarching mythos here. Um, it's basically a, a fairly straight kind of detective job, you know, <laughs> as as best as they can do. Uh, so this episode was inspired um, by an essay written by a guy called E. O. Wilson. Have you heard of yeah, him? Yeah, E. O. Wilson. Yeah, he's a he's a well known biologist. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of about whether mankind would uh, come up with their their own extinction method, I suppose. Um, and the concept of us eating ourselves, that sort of thing. You want to talk about the actual Jersey Devil? They, yeah, they do a weird thing in this episode because like, it's titled The Jersey Devil. It happens in New Jersey. Um, and... They literally ignore absolutely everything about the actual folklore of it, which is, like, weird to me. Why didn't they just call it something else? And, like, if you're going it, to... It's not an episode... The Jersey Devil in folklore is, like, this mystical creature which uh, has the wings of a bat and the head of a horse and, you know, supposedly came out of the womb of uh, this woman who cursed her 13th child. <laughs> Do you know that story? She's, do, she's yeah. like, in labor with her 13th child and she is in so much pain and you know doesn't want to have another mouth to feed so she says oh you know may the devil take this child or something and it crawls out of her as a beast and flies up the chimney and then goes off into the jersey pine barrens um so like it has a very specific folklore attached to it and they they just ignore all of that why didn't they just call their monster something else and set it somewhere else because um yeah i, I see what you it's mean. effectively a sasquatch story that's that's right now 
possibly it's, it's to to root these kind of out there ideas in some sort of folklore reality. I know well. it's just if they wanted to tell a, a like a Sasquatch story, you know, set it in California, have it happen in you know the places where Bigfoot sightings actually happen. Because in instead in the episode. They acknowledge that there is a folklore about the Jersey Devil, but it's it's nothing to do with the real one. It's just, it's almost as if they they'd heard the name but they didn't know anything else about it. Is there anything that you spotted that has any connection? Mm-hmm. Apart from the location, obviously. No, I mean just the fact that there's a monster in Jersey. <laughs> that's that's it. Uh, another thing about these Monster of the Week episodes, they're usually full. To the brim of like, nineteen seventies cop movie drama actors. Yes, and we love them. Uh, so you have Wayne Tippett, Gregory Sierra, and Michael uh, McRae there. Um, so the uh, Mike, yeah, the the ranger is my favorite episode. Uh, my favorite character in this one by far. He's the guy who says he says things like, you know, Mulder says, you know, why don't why are you trying to cover up the truth about this monster? And he's like. Well, you know, I got a sweet pension coming up. I'm not gonna, you know, ruffle any feathers. <laughs> He's just really blunt about it, and it's it just it's not quite the big, uh, government conspiracy angle anymore. It's just like small town slob doesn't care, wants to just finish his job quietly without a fuss, you know. And it, he's really good. But then there's a lovely thing that happens in this episode where, uh, towards the end, um, Mulder assembles like this weird ragtag bunch of misfits around him to go and hunt for the jersey devil <laughs> so it's like Mulder and scully and the fat um forestry guy the forest ranger guy and, and dr diamond dr Manbun, who's <laughs> this disastrously quaffed guy he looks normal enough um, when you first see him from the front and he's just like a middle-aged guy he's, he's going pretty bald his hair is thin but then he turns around and you see like he's got a horrible long hair at the back tied into an awful man bun it's like it's like worse than Hulk Hogan type stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's uh, fairly desperate. The actual Jersey Devil here is played by Claire Stansfield. I'm sure you recognise her from Xena, the Warrior Princess. Who was she in Xena? Uh, she was a uh, Al Alti. No, I don't remember much about Xena really. Okay, you might remember the face. There you go. So, did did you get the impression that like they're trying to hint that? the devil is a like a feral human or some sort of more primitive hominid like ancestor to humans the idea i got from it was that the stories that you were talking about the folklore stories they're trying to frame it so that those stories were inspired by this kind of family of creatures living who managed to 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 live I'd agree with you, except that the folklore that they reference doesn't sound anything like the real one, you know? And and the folklore they mention is very much like a Bigfoot story. And America is chock full of those. And it's just weird to me that they chose this location, which already has a well-established monster story mm. that they just kind of walked all over. I don't... I'm not... I don't want to sound defensive. I don't care about the, the Jersey yeah. Devil. I don't think it's a particularly great story. Um, um, I I don't think that they're trying to frame it as a uh, a feral human. I think it's like literally a, a kind of a, like a surviving a- ancestor to humans who's who, who have somehow managed to live alongside us. So there's a subplot in this about um, kind of Scully's private life, 
And I was interested to find out because is this early episode weirdness or is this something that does happen on and off as the series goes on? Because any whenever I've seen it, you know, the two main characters almost don't have, it's almost like they don't have a private life because they're so consumed by the cases and their work and stuff. And it seems it seemed a bit weird to me then that they're having this subplot about like Scully going on dates and Mulder getting jealous. And well, they, I mean, he doesn't do anything to imply that, but I suppose it's implied anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess you might mean Scully goes on a date. This is sort of done to to show the sort of life she's leaving behind. Yeah. To go. Uh, do they do stuff chase. like that? They do. Yeah. Uh, she, she. I think she goes goes on a few more dates at least. Um, they both have some chill out time. <laughs> uh, at, at some stage or another, uh, I can't just pick those up like there's can't get over how many episodes of the X-Files there are. Yeah. Anyway, the important thing is um, she's on her date, but then as soon as she gets a, a, a beeper, <laughs> her beeper yeah. goes off because 1993. She goes to the uh, the front desk. She and goes to the front desk and, and takes a phone call from Mulder and Mulder is like, yo, I, I got a shitty drawing of a Bigfoot from a homeless guy uh, and now I'm in a drunk tank. In with, You know, I've been arrested by the cops. Do you want to come investigate with me? And she's like, hell yeah. Yeah. This is what I was born to do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they head out and do some further running around. We we both felt this episode just was running on empty. It, it's half-baked. There are some ideas in there that could have been interesting. There's a weird emphasis on like homelessness and um, kind of like the shantytown side of, uh, I think it's Atlantic City where this is happening. Yeah. And they it feels like they're building to something with that, but then they don't. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a few scenes where they hint, there's sort of like an environmentalist theme. There's a throwaway line where somebody mentions like the disappearing Brazilian rainforest. And then there's a longer scene with Professor Manbun where he talks about how destructive humans have been to other animals. And I, you know, I, I thought they were getting to an idea where the, the, the creature, you know, its natural habitat... The, the forest which borders on the city is being destroyed so maybe that's why now it's showing up in urban areas because the the chase for the creature happens primarily in the rundown urban areas of, of atlantic city and it the ideas are not quite developed they, they never really, really grasped it yeah no. it's it's there but nobody quite brings it out onto the open so i don't know it, it was like an, an idea that might have been good but wasn't quite brought to fruition in a great way yeah so that, that's it that's all i have to say about the jersey devil Yes, me too. Um, now, the next episode is uh, EBE. On, on the way, I'd just like to do an honourable mention for Moon, which, uh, not Moon, sorry, Space, uh, the episode called episode Space. space. Um, because, I mean, it, it, it's a, about an astronaut who goes to space. and. Um, oh, is that the one where he, he gets the face on Mars, on his actual face? Yeah, it's pretty terrifying. Oh, I was scared of that one as a kid. Even though a lot of people would look back and say it's, it's a bit crap. Funny <laughs> enough, this particular, this might give you another kind of idea as to how the, the, the series is made, but this particular episode was supposed to be using NASA stock footage and just like boring offices and made really cheaply because they had ran over budget and they ended up this episode actually ended up being uh the most expensive episode of the series because they ran it completely over budget special mentions to the space which also has like the worst title (laughs) it's like a placeholder name it's like oh we'll write one about space 
what do we call it? All right, just write space on the envelope. We'll come up with something better later. Yeah, we'll do the same with ice <laughs> and, and fire <laughs> and the shapes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, EBE, which is a far better title, obviously, because it stands for Extraterrestrial Biological Entity, Correct. which is a term, I think, stolen from Bill Cooper. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe someone else has used this previously. But uh, so the aforementioned crazy conspiracy loon, Bill Cooper, wrote a book stating that actually when, when the Roswell incident happened in 1947, um, a small alien creature survived and was kept by the US military for years and learned to speak a little English and <laughs> was was kept alive by photosynthesis somehow and his various sayings and things that he explained were put together into a document he calls the Yellow Book and the name of the creature was e they called him EBE for obviously extraterrestrial biological entity so maybe that term has precedence before Bill Cooper's book, but um, I, I know that he certainly popularized it, and it's likely that the writers of the X-Files knew of this and got it from him. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in this episode, we get to see sort of a, another counterbalance uh, for Fox Mulder, which is the introduction of the lone gunman. Oh, yeah. Um, they're, they're three... Uh, kind of conspiracy nuts and I suppose their their purpose is to not just help Scully and Mulder in their investigations with by doing things that they mightn't always be allowed to do um, but they also kind of create a counterbalance of of showing Mulder in not as cookie a light as as he actually is uh, yeah he's got somebody who's worse than him <laughs> yeah to they're... compare there, there is another guy, like a precursor to the lone gunman um, earlier on in the se uh, season. Uh, he makes a, another few comebacks, but uh, lone gunman, as you might know, ended up with their own show after a while. Uh, I believe it tanked after a season? Yeah. <clears throat> but also, do you know that there's, a, there's supposed to be an episode, I haven't seen it, but there's supposed to be an episode of it where something like really close to the September 11th attacks is planned i've heard as much and yeah. some conspiracy theorists obviously uh, look into that and and they're very fond of this idea that you know uh, hollywood is preparing us for things that then happen uh, I'm, I'm sure that one episode of a failed one season show wasn't maybe the best way to prepare us for mm -hmm. september 11th but there you go uh, right so there's a, a nice scene at the beginning of this episode right, well it's it's about a, a ufo crash in iraq so again gulf war type stuff going on here uh, and the remains of the craft and, and potentially the alien inside are brought back to America and they're being shipped around in a big truck and Mulder and Scully end up chasing this truck around to find out what's in it. But there's a good scene at the beginning where they're investigating a case uh, of UFO sightings and Scully is like trying to come up with skeptical explanations and she says like, oh, well, we're near a swamp. And I'm like, oh yeah, she's about to try out the <laughs> swamp gas explanation, which again is a nod to UFO history. Uh, to be honest it's very common a lot of people over the years have mentioned swamp gas as a potential explanation it, it's a it's a rubbish one uh, swamp gas is a real phenomena but it doesn't it doesn't float around you know it, it's when you have noxious gases in rotting vegetation that produce methane which can light and produce um, brief light uh, okay. and, or brief uh, kind of fireballs but they don't 
rise. They don't move around independently. They don't do with the things that UFOs are supposed to do. And they don't last for more than a couple of seconds. Yeah. And they're I, incredibly rare. I always wondered how that might work. Anyway, there was, there was a particular case with um, J. Allen Hynek, who was a, uh, and a UFO investigator back in the day. He's played by Aidan Gillen in the, the not great Project Blue Book series. <laughs> uh, but there was a famous case he investigated where, you know, lights, uh, lights in the sky had been seen doing all the crazy maneuvers that they usually do. And uh, he was pressured to come up with an explanation by his superiors and against his wishes. He didn't want to, because he did become a believer later in his investigating. Um, he, he was forced to trot out the swamp gas explanation. Uh, and he was rightly taken to task by the media. They, <laughs> they laughed at him for this and said, like, you know, if the, if the sceptical explanations are as rubbish as this, yeah. if you're not any better than the people telling alien stories, then where are we at, you know? Well, I, I mean, we don't have any swamps in Ireland and there's very few uh, sightings in Ireland. Maybe, <laughs> maybe there's bog gas. But yeah, there is such a thing. But, and again, they're not well understood phenomena. They're not very common either. Okay. They're certainly not common enough to warrant, I think, the amount of time they've been... It, it's a, it's basically accepted as being a, a discredited explanation. Mm -hmm. Anyone using it nowadays is using it ironically. So in this episode, Deep Throat makes another appearance and, you know, pans off of some, uh, some extra information to Mulder, which turns out to be a... A very high quality photo of a, <laughs> yeah. a UFO um, with a, you know, a, a member of the, the armed forces looking at it. However, Scully is immediately skeptical and she begins examining it and uh, points out a lot of uh, bits and pieces in, in the photo. Yeah, um, Mulder but, takes it back to Deep Throat and says, yo, bro, it's a fake. And Deep Throat's like, well, yeah, I, you know, we have to give you disinformation sometimes. And that grinds my gears a bit. But yeah. you know what? I mean, that sort of shit has happened mm -hmm. in, in, in the field. In fact, the, the UFO research is absolutely rife with, with fake documents and stuff. And like we talked about Benowitz and, and Majestic 12. That's based on a bunch of documents that were faked by people like Richard Doty, the guy who was basically trolling Benowitz in the 90s. Um, so there is there is a precedent for this. So maybe I should be less annoyed by it, but <laughs> it just reminds me so badly of Lost. <laughs> yeah. uh, the the episode concludes with uh, you know Mulder and Scully, you know, trying to chase down the the truck, uh, and there's some sleepy times and some lost time, and uh, uh, I, I started uh, losing a bit of time myself actually towards the end of this episode. It was a late night. Yeah. Um, but they, they managed to track down where the, the truck was supposed to be going uh, into like a, a local power station and they get the lone gunman to help them access uh, the, the plant, the facility. There is some other stuff in this episode I'll quickly mention. They do tip, make a few tips of the hat to the real life stories behind the UFO stuff. There's a mention of the Gulf Breeze sighting, which was a real one. They mentioned NICAP, which was a sort of a civilian uh, UFO watching organization. That's all real stuff. You know, they could have just made something up, but mm -hmm. instead they, they took cues from real life. So that, that's pretty interesting. And I like the end when they repeatedly almost come close enough to see the alien, but then they don't. And just you know, they, yeah, they see like the, the, the medical bed where it had been a couple of times. And that's very, 
um, it, it's quite effective. Yeah. That feeling that like something really astonishing is like just beyond your grip, and you've just missed it. It's it, it keeps you keeps you uh, coming along, which is kind of why obviously when they actually have to do pull something out of the bag, it's inevitably going to be I suppose a disappointment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's what I have to say about the EBE episode. When you think about kind of conspiracies like this, you think of the amount of people that must be involved to keep something like this secret. Because you have a, an electrical station there. With, you have the driver of the truck. There's loads of people involved that must see. You, UFO proponents would say, mm-hmm. just, just to be devil's advocate, well, indeed, yeah, and plenty of people have come out. Okay. whistleblowers have come up they're just they're just always like absolute idiots like Bob Lazar who are just like everything they say can be easily instantly disproven do you know what I mean I'm, I'm like uh, you, you would want the best of the bad bunch well extraordinary make. claims requires extraordinary evidence you know it's just really hard to get away from that um, but there are a lot of people who come out with like mad stories maybe we'll do a few episodes on them uh, the guy who believes that the, the do you know about the Dulce base story about the hidden base of aliens under the ground in one of the desert states where like this guy says oh yeah I was there and I had a firefight with the greys and shot two of them and yeah yeah there's mad stuff out there man so like there's no shortage of people coming forward with stories oh my god that's <laughs> insane yeah yeah so I'm just I'm not saying I agree I'm just saying that's what a, a proponent would say to that I see which is like it just is who, which lie do you want to believe, eh? So I think on that note. <laughs> okay, uh, we're running a bit long, so we'll start to wrap up. Thanks for being on the show, Chris. You're very welcome, Ken. Thanks for having me over. Do you have any creative projects on the go and that you'd like to tell people about? I I have one that I'm keeping a little bit secret right now. Okay. It's, it's a music project. Um. Where can people find you online to, uh, when the time is ripe to, to learn more about this? You can find me at Hips to Fur Joyce. That's H-I-P-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-J-O-Y-C-E. And on Twitter, that's probably the best and only place I want you to find me. <laughs> uh, and uh, for whatever reason, I still am on Twitter as well. I'm at Strange Ireland. You can talk to the show that way. It's probably the best way to do it. Um, if you have ideas for things you'd like us to talk about, things to cover, and uh, most importantly, if you have ever had anything weird or inexplicable happen to you, uh, we promise to uh, tell your story and not make fun of you. <laughs> the better you tell it, uh, the better we can tell it. Um, apart from that, all the usual stuff, folks, uh, please share episodes if you like them, send them to whoever might be interested in hearing them. Uh, review, 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 please, that would be great. Honestly, if you say something nice, We'll read that one out too. If you say something funny or something weird, uh, we will read those out also with your blessing. And if you say something awful, we'll report you to the authorities. Or to the correct authorities. <laughs> All right, so I think it's time to close this file. Let me get my briefcase. And thanks for listening. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. Following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body.